suffering. It's the scourge of our existence as human beings. We're all born into it. We all experience it. None of us can escape it. We're impacted by suffering either through our own choices, or very often we find that we suffer because of the choices of others. The mystery is that suffering was never part of God's plan for us. It's the horrible price of choosing to disobey God for the illusion we could become God's. Even today, there are many in the world, in our own country, many even within our own government, who insist that, okay, if you need to like God or worship God, you do it inside your churches and your synagogues and your mosques. You have freedom of worship, but don't you dare bring God into the public arena. Don't you dare bring God into the public square. There is no place for God in the public square of the nation. Don't you dare. Leave it inside your places of worship. Don't take it out. There are many who declare that God is the enemy and that human beings will only find true happiness, true peace, if we eradicate God completely. Many such efforts have been made to establish this human utopia without God, and they all failed, but not before they suffered horribly from the disordered passions of fallen nature running rampant. For the Christian, the answer to the mystery of suffering is found in a far greater mystery. Our God so genuinely loves us, he chose to enter into our suffering. This is clear in the prophecy of Isaiah. The Messiah, as we heard in our first reading, was to be a suffering servant, crushed in infirmity. His life is an offering for sin. Their guilt he shall bear. Now, Judaism then and today holds that the Messiah is to be a mere man, nothing more. It was incomprehensible that God himself would become the suffering servant. But then, really, it is the only possibility that makes sense. Why? Man created this infinite gulf between God and humanity. And no mere man, no number of men could ever bridge that eternal chasm. Only God could, through nothing less than the sacrificial gift of himself. That is just how much God loves us. And Jesus, God in the flesh, was trying to prepare his disciples for this truth. But as we see in our gospel text, they weren't ready for it. James and John tried to box Jesus into a corner by framing their conversation. How often do you and I try to do that with God? We want to have a little talk with God, but we frame the conversation so we pretty much try to make sure God sees our point of view. 
And so James and John go and say, Teacher? Notice they called him Teacher? Not Lord. Teacher? We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Parents, if your kids came to you with a question like that, how would you respond? Yeah, try, see what happens. Well, the Lord went along with their game for a bit. What do you wish me to do for you? And then it came out. James and John, real agenda came through. They wanted power, prestige, a higher ranking than all the other disciples by requesting that they sit in Jesus' kingdom, one at his right and one at his left. They were drawn to this dark side of religion, divorced from love of God. Politely, Jesus made it very clear they were idiots. He asked them, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they go, yeah, yeah we can. <laughs> Clueless. But there's a lot going on in those two questions. First, the cup. The Greek of the gospel uses the word potirion for the Hebrew word kos. Kos is used 33 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Many references are to an unnerving reality, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's judgment, the cup of horror and desolation. We see this in the prophecies, prophecies of Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and Ezekiel. Psalm 75 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he will pour a drought from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. This cup of divine wrath is the cumulative effect of the sins of humanity, past, present, Future, yours, mine, that have created the infinite gulf between God and man. As Jews, James and John should have had some inkling of what Jesus meant, but they didn't. And so, when they said they could drink from the cup, they had no idea what they were saying. Their pride. Their arrogance did what those sins always do so well in our lives, blind us to the truth. And when Jesus asked James and John if they can be baptized in the baptism he was to experience, they again said, oh yeah, completely ignorant of the mystery that implies that as God, Jesus would be immerse. That's what baptism means, baptismo, to immerse. Jesus would be immersed into all the chaos, the horror, the alienation, the pain of all human sin, past, present, future. 
when he surrendered to the agony of his passion. Many want to say, well, Jesus would suffer for the sins of humanity. Yeah, but not enough. Jesus, as the sinless one, would become the sin of humanity. His horror was not just going to the cross, but in that infinite depths of divine love, in total union with the will of his Father, he would absorb into himself all that human beings, including you, including me, have done to alienate us from God. And he would experience the judgment of his Father that would have otherwise been dealt to us. This is the horrifying mystery that Jesus will drink to the dregs, the mystery he will be baptized, immersed in, but then rise up in the resurrection, healing the infinite gulf between God and man. But what does Jesus mean when he says to James and John and to us, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Through our baptism in Jesus, we are immersed in the chaos of his death and burial, but also in the glory of his resurrection. We rise from the baptismal waters so thoroughly identified as being one with Jesus that through him, you and I and every believer becomes an adopted son or daughter of God. And we are now graced to call God our Father, even in the midst of whatever we may suffer. In receiving Jesus' true body and blood, in the mystery of the Eucharist, the supreme fruit of the tree of the life-giving cross, we do not drink from the dregs of the cup of wrath, but rather we drink, says Jeremiah, from the cup of consolation. As we journey through the struggles of this life knowing we can bear the crosses of our suffering because united with Jesus, we never, ever bear our suffering alone. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, our suffering has value. Some time ago, I shared with this congregation a saint that I know. She has not, nor will she ever be, canonized as a saint. But she is a saint for me. Her name is Marian Jorgensen. I met Marianne when I lived in Powell. Now, I cannot begin to tell you how horribly this woman suffered throughout her life. But through it all, she kept rooted in God's love for her. One afternoon, as we were visiting, she said something very striking. 
She said, Father, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus on the cross. He took all of our sins to the cross. He took all of our punishments onto himself. He took all that God hates into himself. Father, what Jesus must have suffered. And I know that my suffering really isn't that bad. In fact, because of him, I can make my suffering a gift that he can use. Because suffering makes no sense at all. Unless I can make it a gift to the Lord. And Marion did that every day up to the moment she entered into heaven. The mystery of suffering through, with, and in Jesus helped her to love more. Otherwise, suffering will always compel us to turn inwards. And after a while of doing that, there's nothing left. Yes, suffering is a part of our lives. But the Christian is reminded every time he or she looks at a crucifix that all suffering has been taken into the depths of divine love. And from divine love, suffering always yields to resurrection and glory.